Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, we thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, the ability to be able to come here. Father God, be able to share your word. And we just ask you, Lord, that you just completely take over, Lord, as we surrender this pulpit to you this morning, Lord. That you be the one to speak to the hearts, speak to the lives, Lord, for only you can bring a, uh, bring a true transformation to the hearts and the lives of these families, uh, of these people, Father God, that are listening, even through uh, Facebook and the streaming, live streaming, Father God, and the ones that are seated here this morning, Lord, we just ask you that you bless them, Lord, you speak to them, you plant seeds in their hearts, Lord, that will give fruit in due season, and that they can grow and mature, Lord, in a way that pleases you, Lord, in a way that honors you, and uh, we just turn this over, over to you, Father God. Uh, take my tongue, take my mind, Father God, and I want you to direct the search, Lord, notwithstanding the notes that I have, Lord, but that you would direct my words, Lord, in a way that would honor you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so since we've been talking about holiness, like I get a lot of questions from people. People come up to me and say, hey, but how about this, how about that? So I wanted to kind of break down this concept of holiness that we've been talking about in kind of a, a few morsels so we can kind of get a, a better idea, a better standing of what it is that we're dealing with. Um, so does God require holiness? Is that something that God is expecting us to, to be, to have? Is that something that God wants us to see in our lives as Christians? And so we can see all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Exodus where I think this word holiness or holy uh, comes up. Uh, in the book of Exodus, we see that God takes the people out of Egypt and he gives Moses the commandments and the instructions for the tabernacle. Uh, the Bible says that the glory of God filled this tabernacle. And in the daytime, there was a cloud over the people where the tabernacle that would provide shade. And at night, there was a pillar of fire over the tabernacle that would provide heat and warmth for the people that were in the desert at that time. The next book after Exodus is the book of Leviticus in which God really kind of dives in once he has his people out there with the tabernacle built. God begins to teach them, give them instructions uh, about different offerings and sacrifices which were important to God in order so that the people could have fellowship with God and walk in this way of holiness. Because without holiness, we know the Bible says nobody will see the Lord, right? So God wanted to have this relationship after he took them out of Egypt and he gave them all these rules, all these instructions that they were to follow. There were over 600 different laws that they had to follow and keep in order to be pure or holy, to be able to have fellowship with God so that God could continue to dwell amongst his people. There's one specific verse in Leviticus uh, that kind of gets to the heart of what God was desiring in Leviticus 11.45 Leviticus 11.45, he says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So he took them out of Egypt. He wants to be their God. And he said, You shall therefore be holy because I am holy. So this is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. But it's a command that God gives his people. Be holy because I am holy. And so that's the first time that, you know, God kind of puts his challenge out in front of them after giving them instructions, after giving them laws and, you know, what they can eat, what they cannot eat, the restrictions they had to live by, you know, how they had to even uh, treat the sick people, how they had to treat uh, the people that would pass away in the encampment, uh, how they were to deal with the preparation of food and meals, all these instructions that God gave to the people of Israel. And there were more than 600 of them. And you can go one by one, every one of these laws, instructions, and nowadays with the science and the technology, we can look back and realize, oh, God was telling them this to protect them. It wasn't like an arbitrary kind of command that God was saying just because he wanted to like rain on the parade, make their life difficult, kind of put a heavy yoke upon them and make them miserable. It was to protect them in the middle of the desert with all the, you could imagine, uh, nowadays, we take for granted that we have uh, hospitals, clinics, we have 
uh, medications, we have uh, sewer systems, we have all kinds of technology that kind of keep the things that could cause illness on one side and the people that are healthy on another side. But back then, they were all together in the desert. So God had to give them these rules and these regulations, what to eat, what not to eat. You know, there was this so-called unclean animals that they had to abstain from because it would get them sick. Now we know that. Back then, they didn't know that. They just had to follow the rules as, it, as God stated. So God gave them these rules and these regulations to protect them from harm, whether it be physical harm because they could eat, for example, like pork. Back then, you know, pork could have had, and nowadays in, in, in countries where they don't watch the production of pork, you know, pigs could get all kinds of parasites in their meat, and if you eat it, you could consume it, you get parasites in your body and even in your brain that could cause you even to have seizures and like lesions in the brain that could kill you. And so God said, abstain from pork and any animal that has hooves, right? And so now we know why God said that. Back then they didn't. They were just being obedient. God either was protecting physically or spiritually. I mean, there were laws that God gave them in order to keep them focused on him. So God said, look, you're going to do this this way and that way and that way. So spiritually, they can maintain a healthy relationship, a healthy life with God. And God also, there are rules there that talk about relationships and how you were to relate and treat your spouse, treat your children. And uh, God dealt with uh, rebellious children very harshly, you know, because a rebellious child could be like a, a toxin in, amongst the people. And so he told parents, look, you got to be, you got to raise them right. Because if you don't raise them right and they turn out twisted or rebellious, the consequences are more serious because we can't have a rebellious toxic kid running around, you know, poisoning, you know, all the other young people and rebelling. And so even these laws were to protect them emotionally, like we call psychologically, you know, God didn't want them to get depressed and anxious and have all kinds of emotional psychiatric issues in the desert. So all these laws were basically to protect the people of Israel. They were not arbitrary. But this holiness idea concept does not finish or does not stop in the Old Testament. In 1 Peter 1.16 Peter actually quotes this very verse, and he says, As it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So for you Old Testament people, I say, well, that was back in the day. Nowadays, we're under grace, and we could do basically whatever we want and participate in whatever situation because we're under grace. Well, God says, no. In the Old Testament, I want to protect you and provide for you physically, emotionally, spiritually. In the New Testament, I also want to protect and provide for you spiritually, emotionally, physically. So be holy because I am holy. So he's telling us under the dispensation of grace that we should also walk in holiness. And this is further highlighted in Hebrews 12, 14, where God says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So is it something that we need in our lives as Christians? Absolutely. Is there such a thing as a Christian that is not in pursuit of this, of this way of holiness, you're not going to be an effective Christian. And like Paul says, you may shipwreck in your faith. You may not make it. So yes, absolutely, in the New Testament, God expects that standard of holiness to be found amongst his people. And Jesus said even more. He said, in the New Testament, you know, things kind of were like raised an extra bar because we have more than the people that in the Old Testament had, right? So he says, in the Old Testament, you were told, don't commit adultery. But now I tell you that if you look at a woman and desiring your heart or lust after her, you've already committed adultery. So in the New Testament, are we even called to a higher standard because to whom much is given, much is expected. So are we expected to walk in holiness? Absolutely. So this is nothing that we can kind of like push aside and ignore and, you know, people want to say, well, spring of life is so strict. They're so, you know, legalistic, and they're so this, and they're so that. These are like the basic requirements of a Christian, of a Christian life, a Christian walk. The fact that this is not being preached from every pulpit in the country could kind of give us an idea of why the country is in the state that it is, right? And so, yes, in the New Testament and the dispensation of grace, we are called to walk in holiness. It is absolutely an attribute that God commands and expects it to find his children or his people, so with that introduction, short brief introduction, let's start with what I call like these three morsels. It comes from questions people have asked me, even my own children. We get into conversations about holiness and what is this and like, you know, 
what is the, 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 the length and the depth of this holiness that, that we hear, you know, the pastor I've been preaching about. And so um, one of the biggest questions is like, how in the world are we going to be able to live such a straight and narrow life and have everything just perfect so we can be considered holy before God? So some people may feel that this word holiness or holy means that you have to start walking around like a Pharisee. You know, like you have to walk all perfect and on the outside look all, you know, put together and your life is perfect. You don't have any issues. You don't have any problems because God forbid that you're struggling in an area of your life because if you struggle a little bit, then automatically you're not holy. And that was not God's intent at all. Um, We weren't called to follow 600 commands, right? So in the New Testament... Can we be holy? Absolutely. But how can we achieve holiness if we're not keeping the law, if we're not keeping those commandments, if we're not doing, like, everything under our own power in order to attain God's goodness? And this is what I, if you get away from here this morning with something, this is what I want you to leave here with. And it's called the good news, right? So in the New Testament, there's this thing called the good news or, or the gospel. The good news is, that no, God has created another way where we can have fellowship together with God, walk in holiness without keeping those 600 commandments that God describes in the Old Testament. And that's a big deal. It's such a big deal that it's called the good news. So for centuries, the Jewish people tried, tried and tried to keep all these commandments. And in fact, we talk about 600. But I know because my Jewish friends, they've told me, that they have libraries full of books to teach them how exactly to apply each and every one of these commandments in today's world. So back then it was said, you know, uh, don't eat uh, animals that have a split hoof. Okay, so how does that apply today? You know, they talk about kosher meats. They talk about the Sabbath. So how exactly do we apply that nowadays? And they have thousands and thousands of books that they try to live by today in order to keep those laws and unfortunately the bible says and has already like given the three count like say one two three you're out the bible says that they weren't able to keep the laws that they failed at the attempt in fact this is why god was able to bring this other package okay now that you guys have seen that you weren't able to do it now let me present to you this new path the good news is that there's a new way and so we see in the new testament that there's this brand new baby Christian. He, he, he comes and he gets to know God. He's on fire for God. This guy was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a real Jew, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which is in the lineage of David and Jesus, a real Hebrew, if there was ever one, a member of the Pharisees who was intimately familiar with the laws and who demanded strictest obedience to these laws. So this guy knew the law more than anybody else and he was so zealous about applying the law and making sure people live by the law that he went out and actually started to persecute and pursue people that weren't living by the law he was a pharisee of pharisees his name was saul and when he came to christ god changed his name to paul and so the apostle paul who wrote most of the books in the new testament he was his pharisee of pharisees that was able to really appreciate and dismantle this idea of this new grace, new dispensation that we're living on, or what exactly is this thing called the good news or the gospel. So Paul was one of the biggest advocates, if not the strongest advocate, of this thing called the good news or the gospel. And Paul really delved into his own heart and his own life and was able to find this, the answer to this question of why, you know, we couldn't achieve holiness through the law, but now under this new dispensation, we can be holy without having to follow the 600 plus laws. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the law couldn't do, because the hook was a flesh. The flesh couldn't fulfill it. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. It says, he condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, 
that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. So this debt that we had with God because of our sin, this requirement that we had because of the law and because of sin, it says that he, it was fulfilled, or this is what we consider justification. Like, we're not made just because of Christ. It says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Previously, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, I love when Paul gives these long dissertations. You know, he was known for doing that. And uh, I love when he does that because he really pretty much like breaks down this whole idea in chapter 13. And you can read the whole, and I recommend you read the whole chapter at home. I'm going to start at verse 16. This is Paul. This is kind of like his personality. Verse 16, chapter 13 says, Then Paul stood up. You can imagine he's in, in a sanctuary, in a synagogue. All the teachers are teaching. All the people are listening. It's like a big ruckus. Paul just got saved. You know, Paul just had this revelation. And he has this fire boiling inside of him kind of saying, hey, listen, I have some good news. I got something I got to say. I have something to tell you guys that is going to be transformative in your lives. And Paul, I think, really thought people were going to receive it well. I think he believed people were going to say, yay, praise God, there's a new way we know it wasn't like that. But Paul in his heart thought that. So in verse 16 it says, Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. He said, Hey, men of Israel, and you who fear God. So that was a hook. Paul's very smart. You know, he knew, he knew how, to, how to reel people in. And you who fear God. And so people listen, I fear God. What does this man have to say? And then Paul begins his dissertation. And in the following verses, he takes people and the religious leaders uh, on what I call like the gospel journey. Right? The gospel journey. He goes from Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness and to Canaan. He goes through the prophets. He goes from David to Jesus, and then he introduces the gospel or the good news to them. And in verse 23, he says, from this man's seed, he's talking about David, the tribe of Benjamin. He says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up a Savior for Israel. He raised up a Savior for Israel. And I think probably for the first time in these confines of the synagogues, he brings up the name Jesus. He says, Jesus is the answer. This is how we don't have to continue to live the way we've been living and, and failing at it and falling on our faces because now God has presented a Savior named Jesus, verse 28. And Paul says, and though they found no cause for his death, they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. So we're talking about putting Christ to death. Now, verse 29, when they have fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. So they crucified him, they killed him, they put him in the tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. He saw no corruption. Verse 38, it says, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man Jesus is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. So this is the path, or this is a way by which you achieve forgiveness of sins, meaning that this is a way you get back on the way. This is a way you reconnect with God. This is a way you reconcile with God is through forgiveness of your sins through this man, Jesus. And then verse 39, he says, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. So that's it. He wraps up the gospel in this chapter. He wraps up by saying, so this is the answer. This is why the law of Moses couldn't do it because we know that the law was weak because of the flesh. It couldn't happen. But because the law was weak because of the flesh, but now there's this solution, there's this remedy called this man Jesus who came, died on the cross, was buried, but resurrected on the third day. And now we are justified in a way that we could have never been justified under the law of Moses. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus' birth, his appearance as prophesied. Jesus read, rejected, beaten, despised, and crucified as prophesied. Jesus buried in a tomb as prophesied. Jesus resurrected on the third day as was prophesied. Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, where he intercedes for you and me as an advocate as was prophesied. And today, if you believe, you can be saved. Or you can be somebody that comes into this way that we call the way of holiness through this man, Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 8, it says, but what does it say? 
the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, within, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this is a call, like the pastor was saying, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish will be saved. And so this is not exclusive to the Jews anymore. This is not something just for people, but this is for anybody and everybody that is able to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. They can be saved. They can start to walk on this way of holiness and be reconciled together with God. Amen? In Romans 5.1 it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, again, this is not just for the Jews anymore. In fact, Paul had a, had, had a heavy heart and he had a calling, you know, to reach out to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. And so Paul brought the Gentiles this good news, this message that, hey, you can even participate in this way of holiness. If you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess him with your mouth, you can be saved and begin to walk in this way. And so Paul says, you know, basically there is no justification without the cross. Without the cross, there's no sanctification. Without the cross, there is no way of holiness. There's just absolutely no way to achieve it. Again, we saw that under the law. We saw that they failed. We saw that they couldn't do it under the law. But it was only through the cross and through the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are able to achieve this holiness. And if we're not holy, we have no access to God. And so Paul, he was so adamant about this, and he was so passionate about this, that I'm not going to read it today, but if you have a chance, go through the book of Galatians. You see Paul confronting a church of baby Christians, apparently, that got saved through the message, through the gospel, through the good news, and it looks like they were Gentiles. They got saved, and after being saved and walking with God and enjoying that, that salvation experience, the, the, the joy of their salvation, some Jewish people came to them in Galatians and started telling them and preaching to them, time out, you guys aren't doing this right. You got to do it by the law. And they actually started telling the church of Galatians, if you're not circumcised, you can't be holy. If, if you don't do it the way the law says, there's no way to get there. And you can see in the book of Galatians, like Paul was angry. He kind of rebukes them. He says, who hath bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who like brainwashed you? If you got here through the grace of the death and resurrection of Christ, through, through salvation, that's so great. Why are you going to go backwards now? Why are you going to go back and now try to live by the law? It doesn't make sense. Why are you going to put that yoke on you? Paul knew that they weren't able to do it back in the day. And he knew they weren't going to be able to do it now. And he knew that if they put that yoke on themselves, it was going to be a stumbling block for the Christian walk. So Paul told them, if you got here by grace and by the work of the cross, what Jesus Christ did, don't go backwards and start putting all these laws and rules and regulations on yourself that are not going to get you anywhere. This path of holiness that you guys have entered, you guys enjoyed because of the grace and the salvation and the death of Jesus Christ, not because of what you did. He rebukes them pretty strongly. And he goes on to explain this idea of justification by faith. And now, we have this thing that we do in discipleship where I get a, I get a white blanket, a sheet, and I sit somebody in a chair in front of the whole class. And I get that white sheet, and I say, this guy, you know, he looks nothing like Jesus, right? Like, we look nothing like Jesus. We're on the path in the way of holiness that we may become more like Jesus. But once you give your life to Christ, God sees us all pretty much the same. It's like putting that white sheet over this person, and we see him white as snow. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. They're washed away, and even though they were red like crimson, they'll be made white as snow. At the moment 
that we come to Christ and we give our lives to him, we are justified, which means our debt to God has been paid because we accepted that payment of Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sins. So at that moment, we are justified, and I cover the person with a sheet. Now, I say to the class, now, if I pick up the sheet and look underneath, I can see that this person still has a little work to do, right? There's still something under there that doesn't look exactly like Christ. They're not there yet, you know, and I can see that. But with the sheet, we, God looks at us exactly as he looks at Jesus because he sees us through Jesus' sacrifice. So he sees us pure, white, sanctified, justified. But we know that this process of sanctification is it a one-time thing like justification? Justification is like a one-time thing that we are justified once we receive that payment for our sins. But sanctification is kind of like more of a drawn-out process that occurs as we begin to walk and learn Scripture and we begin to walk in the Lord. And so this path of holiness, this path of sanctification, is one that we must all engage and begin to uh, allow in our lives in order that Christ might be made manifest in us. So even though God sees us pure as snow, you know, we're becoming more and more like Christ every day. And the Bible says, until we see him face to face, then we shall be like him. So it's almost like a lifelong process that we have to endure in order to get to the place that we begin to look more and more like Christ, right? Like baby Christ, I said, like clones of Christ, which is what the gospel teaches us. Okay, so that was uh, number one. Number two, I get this question all the time. So does being holy mean that I have to act differently? Do I have to, like, speak like you guys, do I have to speak different? Do I have to dress differently? Is it, is it something that I just have to, like, look different? And, and, you know, I remember when I came to Christ. I mean, uh, the pastor shares all the time, like, every other word we said was a curse word. We didn't know how to speak. We didn't know how to talk. So if when I would have come to Christ, somebody would have said, man, you're not saved because you cuss, like, I would have felt, condemned I would have felt horrible I would have felt like I might as well just give up and throw in the towel in fact I remember when I first got saved I, I messed up all the time I would cuss I would lie I would cut class I would cheat I, there was still the old me there that was justified but was not yet sanctified right there was still work to be done and so the devil was on me all the time every time I would mess up they said, aha you see you're not a Christian you're a hypocrite you're not getting anywhere. And I would have to go to the scripture. I have to pray. No, I was saved. I gave my life to Christ. I know I'm a Christian. God is doing a work in my life. And it was a constant battle in order not to get discouraged in my Christian walk because I would mess up all the time. I would mess up all the time. And so the question comes, do we have to speak, think, dress differently? And my answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely 100%. We have to change. We have to think, dress, talk, live differently. In fact, the Bible calls that repentance, right? When we give our lives to Christ, it's like we're walking in a path of destruction, of chaos, of twistedness, of perversion. When we give our lives to Christ, what we do is we repent. We say, God, sorry, I've been doing it my way. I've been on my own highway, and look what it's led to. But now today, because of this good news, I'm going to give my life to you, and I'm going to turn from my own ways. And I'm going to begin to follow your way. So I'm laying down my own agenda, God, and I'm picking up your agenda. Because my agenda led to destruction, led to chaos. But I know and I read in your word that your agenda is going to lead to prosperity. It's going to lead to favor. It's going to lead to something that, you know, I don't even know. But your word promises me, you know, that I need to walk on this path. So repentance is it's a 180 degree turn to begin to walk completely in the opposite direction. The moment you get saved. This is not something that you put off when it's convenient to you. You know, the act of coming to the cross is laying down your life, laying down your sins, laying down everything that Christ takes with him on the cross and turning and beginning to follow Christ. So this transformation, this process of sanctification begins to occur as soon as you give your life to Christ. And so, yes, absolutely we have to begin to do things differently. Once you repent, you surrender we give our agendas, we embrace his agenda for our lives, and begin to walk in obedience. In fact, in Romans 12.1, this is the way Paul put it. And I love this, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, I beseech you, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, what does he mean by your reasonable service? He means this is the only thing that makes sense. In light of the cross and everything that Christ did, and he was beat and spat upon, they ripped out his beard, they put the ground of thorns and beat it down into his head. So he gave his best. In light of what he did, the work of the cross, the only reasonable thing we can do is that we would surrender our lives as living sacrifices for him. So give up your agenda. Give up your attitude, your this is why I do it, why can't I do it my way, you know, whatever. Well, God doesn't cause us to be on our own highway. God calls us to be on his highway. And so we have to turn from that verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So absolutely we have to change. Absolutely we have to begin to look different. Now imagine this guy under the sheet. God looks at him, and he looks pure and white because of the work of the cross. Now, when I look underneath, I have to see a process of transformation, this process of sanctification, this change. And every day when I look at him, a month later when I look at him, a year later when I look at him, he better start looking a little different. Because if he doesn't, I'm thinking, what's going on here? This is not right. Because the Bible promises that he's going to begin to look more and more like Christ. Now, a year, two, or three down the road, he's starting to look a little bit more like Christ. He's talking like Christ. He's acting like Christ. He's treating people like Christ. He's talking like Christ. He's dressing in a way that honors God. He's treating people, his wife, his spouse, their children, in a way that honors God. So I'm like, wow, this guy no longer looks like the guy that originally got here. This guy is starting to look more like Jesus than the guy that first got here. And so it's a process of sanctification, this highway of holiness. It's not a one-time thing, but it's something that we definitely have to surrender to you. We have to give our lives and surrender to that and begin to walk in obedience. We have to begin to walk in obedience so that we can see the results or the consequences of a life that has been surrendered and given to Christ. What does the Bible call that? What, what does the Bible call the results or the consequences of a saved life? The Bible calls it fruit. So you begin to see fruit. You begin to see the way they talk, the way they treat people, the way they love people, the way they show mercy, compassion. You begin to see fruit. And so we know they're in this highway of holiness. We know they're walking that way. We begin to notice change and transformation in their life. We can't do it on our own. And so God has put us in a body, the church. It says God gave the church these five offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that God put over the church, that they could help us, build us, the Bible says, to edify the church so that we could become more like Christ, so that we could be continued down this path of, of holiness, of sanctification. He gave us spiritual gifts in the church. The Bible says the spiritual gifts are for the purpose of edifying, building, maturing, growing the church. They're not just so you can say, oh, I'm a great prophet, I, you know, blah, blah, I'm a great teacher, I hear so on the chest. It's not for you, it's for the church, it's to be able to grow and build the church so that they can become more like Christ. So God has given that to the body, to the church. But you have to be connected to the body. You have to be part of the church to be able to enjoy those giftings that God has given to the church to be able to build us. You can't be a lone ranger. You can't be outside of the church and expect to grow and mature and become everything God wants you to become. It's in the context of the church that God is able to do that in our lives. Ephesians 4.11, let's read that real quickly. Ephesians 4.11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13 till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, which is the goal, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, together connected by what every joint supplies, getting this nourishment that you need in order to be able to grow according to effective working 
that which every part does its share. This causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So I understand and I get because I lived through that as a kid. I don't like literally one time the youth pastor grabbed me by the ear and he said, if you do that again, I'm going to rip your head off. The youth pastor, the man of God in my life at that time, he told me that. And I remember when he told me that, it's like somebody punched me in the chest. I was like, I was like, no way he didn't say that. And I went back and I sat in my chair and, and my knees, I think, were shaking. I was like, no way this man of God just told me he's going to rip my head off. You know, but what I was, I was climbing around. I, I was standing in the front in the altar. And I was like doing something stupid, whatever. And I was not appreciating and respecting what God was doing. And he said, if you do that again, I'm going to rip your head off. And I sat down and my knees were trembling. And as I processed what had just happened, I realized, yeah, God is to be feared. You know, these holy things, these sacred things that we engage in are to be respected. And I learned that at a very young age. You know, it wasn't something that, that took a genius to discover, you know. I knew I had to respect and honor God in my life. And that pastor just reminded me. He spoke the truth in love. You know, if you keep doing this, I'm going to rip your head off, you know. And so I needed that. I needed that that moment. Now, I could have, at that age, gotten offended, left the church, cursed my parents, rebelled, backslid, and separated myself from the body. I could have done that. A lot of young people do that. But there would have never been any growth, there would have been no, no maturity, there wouldn't have been any uh, sanctification in my life, but because I stayed and I stuck it out, through the years, I began to understand what he told me and why he told me that. And then through the years, I was able to uh, lead a youth group. I was able to lead a college group. I was able because I stayed engaged in the body and I allowed God to continue to rebuke me, correct me, discipline me in that process of sanctification so that I could become a better Christian. So I can stay engaged with this way of holiness. But separated from the body, there's not going to be any change, any transformation. It's not going to happen. It's only in the context of the body where Christ is the head that we're able to go through that process of sanctification. So, yeah, sometimes somebody will rebuke you, will pull your ear, will correct you, discipline you. And it's possible that a good percentage of what they say may or may not apply. But if 1% applies, if you could take a morsel, if you could take something out of that correction that could grow you and push you further along this path of sanctification, it's worth it. It's very much worth it because you're going to enjoy the joy of your salvation like the Bible says. Number three. This is the last one. So does being holy mean that I have to isolate myself, separate myself from the world, and go up on a hill in a, in, a, in a little church and just, you know, get holy, get holy, 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 get holy close to God because all these people are sinners, all these lost, all these like corrupt people are always saying uh, crazy things and doing crazy things. Do I have to separate myself? Because people say holiness means separation. Holiness means, you know, separated for God. And, you know, we hear that 30,000 times. So what does that mean? And what we know is that there is a type of separation. There is a type of kind of when you give your life to Christ, you know, and, and you turn. If, if everybody's going that way and you decide to turn and begin to walk differently, how many know that that separates you? That kind of makes you different. So there's a type of separation. I could call it more, more of a distinction, between us and the world. And people begin to notice that. People begin to see that. If the process of uh, sanctification underneath that, that sheet is going on, people begin to see how you talk, how you act, whatever. And you're not doing anything mean to them. You're not like calling them out right. You're not being judgmental. They just see that and they're convicted. So they say, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? Do you think you're like, no. <laughs> if I thought I was better than you, I keep walking the same way I was. But the reason I turn is because I know I'm not better than you, and I surrender my life to Christ so I can become a better me. So I don't think I'm better than you, but, but they, they, they feel like convicted because of the life that you're living. So there's a type of separation. But it's not a separation like we like to think about it. And in fact, if you look at the very life of Jesus, Jesus was the one that said that we are to be salt and light into the world. It says that they could see the works that we do and that they could glorify your Father which is in heaven. So... We have to be in the midst, Paul said, 
in the world, but not of the world. So we're there, and they're seeing this work of Christ in our life, and they're being convicted and hopefully turned from their own path. Maybe they say, man, this guy's doing well. Things are going well for him. Let me turn also like he did and begin to follow in that path because I want the blessings that he has. I want the marriage that he has. I want the family that he has. And they begin to turn their path. So this is what the Bible says. Jesus, he said to his disciples and the apostles, he said, now go, go into the world and reach the lost, heal the sick, you know, cast out demons. And so Jesus didn't get his disciples and go up on a mountain and isolate themselves from the world so they could become holy. That wasn't what Jesus did. Sometimes we Christians, we think we could be holier than Jesus. You know, we could like achieve some level of holiness or sanctification that's higher than Jesus. And, and we want to begin to uh, make up these rules and these regulations of how we live our holy lives. And, and we could go astray because that's not what Jesus said. The great command in Matthew 20, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He sent them out. The pastor gets on an airplane several times a year to go to all corners of the world to preach that message, that calling that God has put in his heart so that many would turn from their sinful ways. Many would repent and have the successful marriages and families that the pastor is teaching and preaching. So we don't isolate ourselves. We don't close ourselves in and separate ourselves from the world. In fact, Jesus said a, a prayer to, to his father, and he said, God, I pray that you not remove them from the world, but that you keep them from evil, and that you will sanctify them, okay? And so, here it goes. This is a separation, right? So, he says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. Like, he, he's not scared that, that the apostles are going to be, you know, whatever, but he says, but I pray that you keep them from the evil and protect them. And sanctify them now. Here comes the separation. What is sanctification? What is holiness? Well, holiness is, yeah, God is separating us, is putting us aside for a specific purpose. So it's not that he separates you from the world so you could be more holy. No, but God is calling you to a path for his purpose under his agenda that is going to uh, fulfill a specific purpose. And now Jesus' purpose coming to earth was to give his life. That was his purpose. And so Jesus was set apart, was sanctified for the purpose of dying on the cross. That was his calling, that was his purpose. Now, because what Jesus did, we may not be called to die on the cross, but we may be called to, like during Suleika, reach out to marriages. So they have been set apart by God to reach marriages, to reach families. God has sanctified the pastor and his family. Not that they'd be isolated somewhere in a corner, but th that they would give up literally everything in order to fulfill this calling God has put in their heart. So they are separated for that purpose, for that calling. They're not separated just so that they can remain pure. They're separated because God has called them for a specific mission and purpose. So yes, we are to be separated for his use, his agenda, and his purpose. That's the separation the Bible's talking about. It's a separation for God's use. I love this verse. It's another one of my favorite verses. First, first Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. In some versions it says, a peculiar people. Peculiar means a private ownership. So we are a people that belong to God. We are chosen. We are separated. A royal priesthood to be used, it says here, that you may proclaim the praises of his name who called you out from darkness into his marvelous light. So this is a calling. This is a purpose. This is why we've been separated. This is why we've been chosen, that we may proclaim the praise of him who called us out of the darkness. So we were here, and now we turn here, and we begin to say, hey, this is good, man. This really works. Come on. You guys, you got you to try this. So we're proclaiming. We're calling out. Look, guys, come this way. We're proclaiming to the world that this works. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, in the midst of the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So my family and I, we have a saying. We say, you know, we're playing football, and that family's playing some twisted game, you know. So I'm not going to go engage them in their twisted game. I'm not going to start playing by their rules 
and, and, and their uh, 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 regulations and, and whatever. I'm not going to go engage them in order to reach them for Christ. I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to separate myself from the way of holiness. But I will, hey, this is a much better game. Like nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets injured. Like there's prosperity. At the end, like we have a great time, you know. So I'm going to call them to my playing field to play my game because we play by the rules. And we have faith. We have success. We prosper. We don't get hurt. So this thing about I'm going to go into a, you know, a bar to reach people for Christ. Well, you're just putting yourself in the devil's field. You're putting yourself right in the middle of the devil's playing field, playing by his rules. So don't be surprised. And that's fine. If you want to get stabbed or shot or something for, for, for Christ's sake, you know, that's kind of self-inflicted, right? So, you know, you want to, the people at work, the people that you engage with on a daily basis at school, the people that you find sometimes when you're eating uh, at the restaurant, you want to talk to them, preach to them. They see your children. I don't know how many times they come up and says, when our kids were little, you know, they, they would sit in their seats, they wouldn't get up and whatever, and people were just so amazed by it. They said, you got such a beautiful family. How do you do that? How do you do that? I'm like, the sport that we play, there's rules. The game that we play, like we play by the rules under the direction of God. The reason there's chaos over here is because you guys are playing your own makeup sport by your own rules, by your own regulations, and that's why there's all this chaos. So I invite you to come over so you can enjoy what you see here. Because this is not exclusively for me. It's for everybody. And so it says that they may see your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. And we are to be conformed and molded into the image and stature and fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. That is the work of sanctification. That is the work that the Spirit has called the church to. That is what we have been separated for as a church. To proclaim the good news and the gospel and the message of Christ, number one. And number two to edify and build and grow people that they will become into the image of Christ. And the Bible says, so that one day we could present the church as a perfect, the pastor read that verse, as a perfect unblemished bride with no spot or wrinkle. That is the purpose of the church. That is why we've been called to holiness. That is why we've been sanctified. Amen? So I hope that helps clarify some things. God bless you. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Every time one of these preachers come up here to this world-changing pulpit, it's almost like I want to sit down and quit and let them take over. Um, because the wealth of the goodness of God inside each one of them is so huge. Um, thank you for that great exposition of the highway of holiness. Um, there's nothing like seeing... Um, the fire of God burn in the life of a man of God. And it produces light so that we can walk after these things. We can follow their examples. Um, you know, what, what, he, what Pastor Jewel said this morning, um, and I don't know if you captured it, because a lot of people are, they say that, that people will only watch 30 seconds of a YouTube video. That's why all this inch superficial generation we live in but if you miss the whole preaching go to first corinthians 1 30 and this is what pastor jules just said that god made christ for us our holiness that's basically it and when you see this verse there and paul is saying it in just one verse as he's presenting the gospel of jesus christ to the corinthian church they were wicked they were perverted they were twisted uh, they had continual orgies because they served the god of fertility so their worship was was vulgar depravity that's that's how the old days used to um, uh, serve their pagan gods and so in the midst of that culture paul is saying listen god wants you perverted depraved degenerates to be holy and how does he do it by the good news. Could we put that verse up there, please? 1 Corinthians 1.30. And we're going to read it together. And it says, God, you are in Christ now. And you have become for us. Christ has become for us the wisdom of God, his righteousness, his sanctification and redemption. So that is the pathway 
of, you know, and it's surreal for those of us that come from the world. I got saved when I was a freshman in college. That's, that's not a pretty much good time to, to start seeking holiness. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to say what the Bible says. He loved me first. I didn't love God first. He loved me first. And, and now in Christ, I challenged God to do the impossible. We talked about that this morning. To do that, which is, is there too, something too difficult for me, says the Lord. And then we have this verse here in Matthew. Um, I was just reading this verse. It's Matthew 24, 12, which is the climate of the last days. What is it? The love of many will grow cold. And talking about love, you, you can't get close to God. You can't love God if your heart has become hardened. And, and because of the deception and everybody doing so many things wrong, we say, well, forget about it. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have a tender heart in a tough world. Well, guess what, my friends? In this world of selfishness, the love of God through the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning. I believe that hope does not disappoint you. There's still an expectation of something good because the love of God is being poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. And if you could be attentive to what was said today here in this message, we could close this church down and just put this video of Pastor Jules repeated into the apocalypse into the craziness of this world as the last message that men need to hear uh, before the coming of Christ is that at the cross, God reconciled man with himself. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That holiness is not a fanciful religious rhetoric, it's a genuine work of the Holy Spirit, giving us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, making us men and women of God, families that are peculiar. Because in our time, there's not a lot of people seeking holiness. We are. God has spoken to us this year out of Isaiah 35 that there's going to be a people that will jump on this highway. And we're not going to suffer what the people in the world are suffering because we have chosen Christ. So, Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for the message in the house of God, from the man of God, out of the word of God. We pray, Father God, that it would be a good seed planted in every heart that would produce fruit and a harvest that glorifies your name. Lord, that this word might reproduce, uh, might produce repentance, a turning away from our agenda and our highway to jump on your highway. We pray your blessing upon Pastor Jules, his wife Claudia, his children. We pray your blessing in the second service, the Spanish service. We pray for your healing for all those that are um, vexed by the virus and the pandemic of COVID and coronavirus, Father. We pray that the blood of Jesus would be upon them, that they would be set free and delivered and made whole, Father God, that they would be in good health and in peace. We pray your favor upon your family, upon your people. We pray, Father God, that this week would be a week of prosperity, of peace, of blessing, of fruits of joy. Father God, that you extend your mercy towards us continually. Father, and, and there's those things that we consider difficult, Lord, and you're asking us, is there anything difficult for me? So we present these petitions before you that you would move in a mighty way. Allow us to love our wives today and our children and our daughters, that they might experience the love of God through us as vessels, O oh God. We pray that you give us faith, hope, and love, and that we would champion this earth cause and fill the earth with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. See you Wednesday night. Don't miss it, 7 o'clock, Wednesday night, here at Spring of Life Fellowship from Miami through live stream. God bless you.